Now, last week, if uh, you remember, we, we, we got into a great study out of our fifth section. And I told you how that the uh, uh, first uh, section of the Gospel of John in chapter 1 is basically an introduction to that gospel. And I've kind of broken it down into sections. And last week, we looked at our, our fifth section. And uh, I'm just trying to take it in pieces where everybody can, we don't try to swallow too much at one time. And we can get everything out of here that we really need to get. And from that section, you know, we, we saw how that the great concept of uh, biblical uh, separation, uh, the Bible calls it sanctification, being set apart, and uh, how that we, uh, as a model Christ was to us, we should be separated from the world. And it's all based on verse 10 last week, where he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. And of course, I took that and showed you how that that is a great, great, great picture of where we should be at in our walk through this life. The world should not be your friend, and you should not be part of the world system. And when it comes to all of the things of the world, and they look at you as a Christian, it should not know you. It may not like what it does know, but it doesn't know you in the sense that you're part of that system. And the Bible says that he came into this world and he was, he was, he was totally separated from this world. And I gave you a great verse that uh, it always comes to my mind in many, many, many situations in dealing with people. And it's the one found in Amos 3.3. How can two walk together except they be agreed? And of course you can't. And once you become a child of God, uh, a child of light, you have nothing to do with the world of darkness anymore. And the two cannot walk together unless you give up the light. And I mean, when you got saved, you're supposed to give up the darkness and embrace the light. But what happens many times is that God's people give up the light and embrace the darkness. And that's where the problem comes in. Then the Bible says that he came unto his own, and his own received him not. And I took some time with that because... I think this is a very important aspect that we all need to see how that, that he was, when Jesus came to this earth at the first coming of Christ, we know that he was born of a woman. Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin. That means that she never had any more children. And of course, that's not true. Those kids are listed. His brothers and sisters are listed in the New Testament. And uh, there was more children that she had other than him. But it also tells us that that his own brothers and sisters, outside of James, the Lord's brother, <clears throat> but his own brothers and sisters rejected who he was. And they, he got separated from his own family. And I told you last week that, unfortunately, you know, that's what happens. And that's a great model in the Bible. I would think it would be a great comfort in the Bible for someone who finds himself in that situation with your own family, because it does happen. You know, Luke chapter 12, verses 51, 52, and 53, Jesus himself said, You suppose ye that I come to give peace on earth. And, you know, and that's what we always hear. At Christmas time, you'll see every Christmas card, every, every front yard and everything there, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. And that's, that's the way the world supposes that Christ came for. And, of course, he says, Nay, uh, I tell you, nay, but rather division. Now that goes against everything that the evangelical world and certainly the mishmash uh, Christian world preaches today. That we live in a world in Christianity where everybody is trying to get together. And the Bible clearly says that Jesus didn't come to put everybody together. He come to divide folks. And he divides them over the book that you're holding in your hand today. And he said, for from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, the son against the father, the mother against the daughter. I want to outline that one. The mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother. The mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law. Of course, mother-in-laws are against everybody, so that doesn't really matter. The mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against the mother-in-law. And uh, this is a pure case where the in-laws become the outlaws. And, you know, you can deal with that all the time. And these are, these, these are separated because of the Word of God. The Word of God will divide you 
from your own family. And I've seen it all in my ministry. I've dealt with situations where it's happened. And it's simply because the greatest single aspect of the Word of God before anything else is that it divides. He divided the light from darkness in Genesis chapter 1, verse 4. Hebrews chapter 4 says, when you get saved, he divides you from the flesh to your soul. And uh, after you're saved, then he separates you and divides you from the world. And sometimes that will either even affect into your family. Somebody said one time to a young lady, what justification do you have from separating yourself from your family? And the answer would be the same justification that Jesus had. Let me be clear here. Jesus didn't leave them. They left him. It wasn't the fact that he got up one morning and said, I don't want to be part of this family anymore. And it was the morning the family got up and said, we don't want you part of our family anymore. It was because what he represented. And there's going to be times in your life, and you need to take comfort in this. There's going to be times in your life, and I know it's tough, it's not easy, but there's going to be times in your life when you stand for the truth, and it's going to cost you something in your own family. It's just that simple. And, uh, you know, they left him. Uh, He didn't leave them. The book divided them. And you're going to find, it's been true of my ministry, you're going to find that that people come to this church or any other church and then they get their nose bent on a joint over something that is ridiculous and then they're going to leave and they want you as their son or their daughter to leave with them to support their ungodliness. And you got enough character and enough sense that you say, I'm not going to do that. It's going to cause you some problems. It's going to cause you some problems. And of course, uh, you know, the problem is simple. It's always simple. Jesus was doing God's work And his family, as far as his brothers and sisters, didn't want anything to do with it. In fact, the Bible says that they were offended by it. And when you get into a Bible-believing church, whether it's this one or some other one, whatever the case may be, there is going to be people who had a shot at the truth and didn't take it, and because you stayed with it, are going to be offended by your stand. And uh, I, I, I don't know what to tell you about that other than the fact that, praise the Lord, I mean, if you don't stand for something, then you'll fall for everything. <clears throat> and that's what it takes so time. So they left him. Put it into a New Testament context. They left the book. They left the church. They left God. <clears throat> and he didn't. And that's going to cause you some problems. Now, how easy was that? I mean, we like to make things so complicated, like there's real issues and the real problems. No, most of the time there's not. Most of the time you've got people who no longer want to follow the Bible. And when you take your stand to be on God's side, it's most definitely going to separate you because it's going to cost you something. And that's just the way that it works. Then we saw, not only was that his own flesh and blood, his family uh, didn't receive him, but also it says he came unto his own, and that is his physical family, but it's also his brethren, the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel didn't want to know who he was anymore. Uh, they, they just like moms and dads, just like our, our, our verse there in Luke. You know, they, they, they didn't want to know anything more about him, and it didn't, they didn't want care to have anything to do with him. And just like, it, I've always said that, Jesus is the only man who never hurt anybody in his life, who never did anything bad to anybody, who only came to help everybody, but a whole world wanted nothing to do with him. And that is a great principle because at the end of the day, when you get separated from whoever, I can guarantee it's going to be your fault because they never take responsibility for anything. They always got to blame somebody else for their issues. And that's what Israel's doing here. Israel is in the sorriest state that you have ever seen in your life, just like a lot of God's people in their families. And they're in the worst spiritual condition they could ever be in. And here God sends them somebody with the truth, and they don't want it. They wind up crucifying him because they labeled him as the problem for their nation. And you will get labeled as the problem for the family. Enjoy it. Make friends with it. Because that's just the way that it's going to be. You know, his brother in Israel in Matthew chapter 12 Verses 12 and 13, these two key chapters in Christ coming to his brethren really show us what the problem was. Because it's in these two chapters where the the nation of Israel make their official rejection. 
to the scribes, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees. And we talked about them last week, how that the scribes who were biblical were completely corrupted, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees who were not biblical had taken over the nation of Israel. And they're the ones who pushed for the official rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet the Bible says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. America made its choice. The only thing men ever learned from history is the fact that they never learned anything from history. Israel made their, rejoice, uh, their choice way back in Matthew 12 and 13 when they rejected Christ and the truth. And America made their official rejection in 1888 down in Sarasota, Florida, where the Southern Baptist Convention dumped the King James Bible on that great convention and officially adopted the RSV of 1888. Credible parallels. Now, Having said that, today we want to look at another section, and we're going we're to actually bolt all these sections together. But we've got to look at them and examine them. It's easier to look at one piece at a time, and then you can put it all back together again. That's the way I've done my Bible. That's the way I do most things in life. And uh, it's, it's, I found for me, and maybe for you, it's a good way to do it. Now look at uh, another incredible, important verse here. And we just, we're not going to get past this one today. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, for our learning experience today, <clears throat> that's what they tell you in the world, for our learning experience today, <clears throat> this is some really good material in this verse that we want to look at. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to jump right into it and work through this thing today in John chapter 1, verse 14. Our Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We love you. Thank you for all you do for us. Pray, Father, your blessings upon our time today. Take what we've learned last week and the weeks before that and the weeks before that and add it to what we learned today that we may put this great book into a context of our life that will really help us and show us what we need to see. And we'll be careful to give you the honor and the praise in Jesus' name for the sake we ask it. Amen. Now, I'm a divider when it comes to things in the Bible. I found in my own life that that's the best way to, to, to learn it. And so I have divided today's message, and I do this a lot. I don't always say it. But I have divided today's verse into four concepts. To me, that's easier to understand than just taking the whole answer a lot and trying to stuff it down your throat. I want to see. I want to show you some things here, and we got to do it in sections. And the first thing I want to look at is in that verse, chapter one, verse fourteen. It says, "And the Word was made flesh." I want to talk about that for you in a few moments. And right here, without going any farther, we have the issue of our day. We have the issue of Christianity today, and I think that it needs to be addressed, and it certainly needs to be answered. And the question is today, do we have the very Word of God? You know, in church history, we know from Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3 that there were seven periods of church history. And I've told you when we come through church history that each period of church history had to deal with a doctrinal issue. Something that they, the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, some heresy that came up that they had to confront and keep from taking over and penetrating into the church and defend the Bible against it. Every, every period of church history. And for you and for me, from 1900 on, it's been the issue of the Word of God. Do you have the absolute, perfect, inspired Word of God today. Was Christ the incarnate Word at the first coming, or was He not? Did the verse mean what it says when it says that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us? Is that true? If it is true, when He then goes back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, does He take the book with Him and leave it, or leave it here? If he takes it with him, then he basically says to the church for the next 2,000 years, you figure it out. Let man give you the best rendition of my life and what I want to do through your life that he can. I'm out. I'm going back to heaven and I'm taking the book with me. And you guys are left to figure it out on your own. 
In other words, can you have the very word of God today as perfect as he is without sin or any error in it? Now we know, and there would be no argument, that when Jesus came, he was sinless. Your salvation depends on that. The Bible says he became sin for you, but he was a perfect man and without any sin on himself, and then God put our sin on him. Now, we all would agree with that. The problem is, do we now believe that the very God who gave us a sinless Savior could give us a sinless Bible? Okay, that's the problem. That's the problem. And if it is available, where is it? How do I get my hands on it? Now, 99.9999999. You say, why do you always say that? Because a guy told me one time that it just drove him up the wall and he left the church because I always said it that way. So I'm doing that in your honor. 99.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
how you can know today that if you have a King James 1611 authorized version, you have the very words of God that are perfect, that are inspired, that have been preserved and were out proven error, and you do have the word of God based on the word translate or translation. Because in the Bible, the word translate or translation, here it comes, is never used in the form of one language from another. It's always used one place to another. Never a language. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, you find the word used three times. And here it says, by faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death. It was not found because God had translated him, but before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. That has nothing to do with languages. That is dealing with Enoch going from here to where God was. And God told you three times that he was translated. Three times he tells you that translation in that verse is not language to language, but one place to another. Then, In 2 Samuel, chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, it says this. So do God to Abner, and more also, except as the Lord hath sworn to David, even so I do to him. Oh, here it comes. Verse 10. To translate the kingdom from the house of Saul and to set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan even to Beersheba. No language is involved. Here, it's the kingdom of heaven is being translated from the house of Saul, one place, to the house of David, another place. No language is involved at all. My, my, my. You would think that somebody that claims to know the Bible, that someone that works in a Bible college or works in a church and teaches people all week long and every Sunday would just know a little bit about the Bible. The word translate or translation never deals with one language to another. It deals with one place from another. Look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. It says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Talking about Christ. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, even hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. No language is involved there. You were translated from the world in darkness to his son in light. You went from the power of darkness and you were translated into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, if you don't know what that kingdom is, that's your salvation. And at salvation, John chapter 8, verse 44 says, If you're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you shall do. He was the murderer from the beginning, and abode not under truth, for there's no truth in him. Before salvation, you were in that family, and that family was darkness. When you got saved, he took you out of that family, and he translated you into The kingdom of his dear son. That's the kingdom of God. And Romans chapter 14 verse 7 says that that's a spiritual kingdom. And Luke chapter 17 verse 21 says that that spiritual kingdom, kingdom of God is inside you right now today. That is Colossians chapter 1. That is the spiritual circumcision. That is your soul becoming one with God's spirit at the day you got saved. And God used no language to do that. He translated you from the world into the kingdom of his dear son. He just moved you. He just translated you from one family to another. Because in the Bible, the word translation, transition, trans, uh, translation uh, never is about languages. Now you see the importance of the Bi- allowing the Bible to be your true dictionary. You never, it defines not only everything, but it defines everybody. Translation or translate never is one language from another in the Bible. 
but always from one place to another. And that is sets up one of the greatest studies and the greatest keys that you know you got the Bible you got is the King James Bible. Now, here it comes. At the first coming of Christ, the Word of God was translated from God, and it's settled in heaven. It's translated from God, who was God and was with God, down to the Word was made flesh, and Jesus Christ went from heaven, one place, to earth, and he was translated from heaven to earth and became the incarnate Word of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You see, people get so hung up on languages because you hide behind languages because you can propagate your, your, your lie about translations in the Bible because you hide behind the world's definition of translation or translate. But when you get into the Bible and you see how God uses it, And at the first coming of Christ, the Word of God was translated from God, heaven, down to earth, and the Word became flesh, and it was manifested, and the Word became flesh. Now, when Christ goes back to heaven in Acts chapter 1, He didn't leave us without a Bible. He didn't leave us without truth. He didn't take it back to heaven with Him. This time, He translated it from His Son into a book which the Bible says is his mind. His body went back, but his mind stayed, and he translated Jesus Christ into a book. One place to another. So and I, you, you and I could know him. Philippians 2.10, the book of 1 John. So the Bible now in the church age tells us, after that transition takes place, it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, that we have the mind of Christ. You know why? Because when Christ's body went back to heaven and God translated him back up there, he translated it, not the incarnate word, word, but now the written word. And that's why you have a Bible, and the Bible says that Bible is the mind of Christ, and you are to let that mind be in you, which was, here it comes, also in Christ Jesus. God translated his body back to heaven, but he translated his mind into a book and gave it to you and me. Then he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, verse 16, he says, Who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? That's a good question. How would you find the instruction of God if you don't know what God wants you to do? Are you going to rely on a man telling you what God wants you to do? Or are you going to rely on God telling you? How's he going to tell you? How are you going to know what's on God's mind for your life unless you have that mind? And when God took his son back to heaven, he translated him from this life up. When he came down, it was the word of God translated from heaven down here. When he took it back up and translated him, it was the fact that he translated from one place to the other the written word of God that you have in your hand right now. Who hath known the mind of the Lord that we may instruct him. But we, 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 have the mind of Christ. You got it right now. And if that wasn't enough, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 tells you and me that we are to arm ourselves with this same mind. That's the same mind that was perfect in Christ. That's the same mind that was complete in Christ when he was here, that Christ had at the first coming of Christ. And when God took him back to heaven, he translated it to you and me. His mind. The word was God manifested in the flesh and now manifested or transitioned into a perfect book, the mind of Christ. And that perfect book is the King James 1611 authorized version. It's just that simple. It's perfect. It's complete. It's inspired. It's preserved word of God. Now, you see how easy that was? The Bible always makes it simple. It's man who wants to tell you, <clears throat> you've got to spend 20, 30 years and $200,000 to study two dead languages that nobody speaks anymore and, and figure out your Bible. That's what man does to you. God put it down into in third and fourth grade English. His Holy Spirit of God enveloped that book and gave us everything the way he wants and it contains everything that we need. Now, let me pause here for a moment and show you the other side. For the record, when you get into 
churches today, the neo-evangelical maniacs, most Baptist idiots, when you get into most Christians who teach the Bible today, uh, the standard teaching will be, and just listen to me carefully. In fact, don't even take any notes on this. This is so absolutely incredibly stupid that you don't want to miss this. Because when I'm done, you're going to think how absolutely absurd all of this is. Hey, I've been in this business for almost 50 years. I've seen it all. I've heard them all. I've talked to them all. I know exactly what they teach and why they believe it. And that is the basis for why I believe what I believe. But here's, for the record, here's the standard teaching. They will tell you in Bible colleges, most pastors, in most churches, that the Bible is the inspired and perfect word of God in the original autographs. And all we have today will be a translation, King James Bible translation, New American Standard, RSV, uh, NIV. Those are, those are translations. And the reason why, since 1900 up to where we're at today, you've had over, what, 300 new translations? And every year they come out with a couple more? is because scholarship, our scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees of our day do not believe that any Bible is perfect, but only a translation. So they keep upgrading it based on the Greek and the Hebrew that only they know to give you a more accurate Bible, but yet it may be closer to the originals. It may have more truth than the last one, but it will still not be perfect because the only perfect Word of God is in the original autographs. That is their position. And they will tell you that you have to go back to the Greek and the Hebrew, get those Greek little nuggets of gold out of there in Hebrew that will explain the Word of God to you and make it so much clearer. And because none of you saps can do that, First rule of public speaking, never speak down to your audience. Some of you idiots don't get that, but I'm telling you. (laughs) Because you and I can't do that, we have to go to them. And very subtly, very quietly, with all the meekness and humbleness of the demonic spirits in the lake of fire, they take the place of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. No more do you get on your knees and ask God to open up the scriptures to you. Now you just go to your Greek or Hebrew lexicon, and when you can't figure it out, you go to your scribe, your Pharisee, your Sadducees, and he'll tell you what the verse means. Now, some of God's people are okay with that. I'm not. I believe the Bible was given to the common man in a common Bible that anybody on this planet could figure out the Bible, and you do not need a college education in a Bible college or Greek and Hebrew to figure it out. In fact, that'll be a determinant. Now, we saw an example of this that a dear lady called a question in a couple of Thursday nights ago about some ridiculous Bible study where somebody was teaching the word love based on the two Greek words, philo uh, and, and, uh, you know, agape. And how that, uh, that, that, those Greek nuggets really told you what kind of love that that was. Was it, when you read this verse, was it philo love or agape love? One of them is a common like, I love you. Yeah, you're my friend. The other one is, I love you. <laughs> and supposedly from this pretense of a Bible study, You can now go to your Bible and you can look up the Greek words and you'd know what kind of love that was. (laughs) And of course, when you really investigate it into the Bible, and I hate to say that because when you study the Bible, you find out this goofy stuff isn't true. You'll find that God never uses the words that way. He uses them interchangeably any way he wants to. And it, gape and philo mean, listen to me, absolutely nothing.
And the fact that Greek and Hebrew is is a necessity for you figuring out the Bible is the greatest, without a doubt, the greatest lie that ever was hatched out of the depth of hell. Now, here's the false teaching in all of this. Bible scholars, Bible colleges, Greek scholars, Hebrew scholars will be, and I, and I don't even know how to say this in a nice way, and I'm not even trying to. They are some of the most demonic, satanic implants that you'll ever find in Christianity. And before you raise the roof with that, go back in history just like the demonic Sadducees, Pharisees, and the scribes of Jesus' time. Now, here's the deal. You want the facts? All right. Here comes the cards face up. The originals. Really? Years ago, there was a preacher preaching, and he didn't believe the King James Bible was the Word of God. He was a good preacher. And he's preaching from the pulpit, and he got preaching on something that led to uh, the Bible. And he's waving, and he was preaching out of a King James Bible. And he's waving it back and forth saying, we believe the Bible is the plenary inspired, absolute perfect word of God, and you can rest your soul on it. And everybody in the place went crazy and amen. Well, got my attention. Shortly after that message was over, I met him in the hallway and I said, well, praise the Lord, brother. I said, you finally have come to the place where you believe the King James Bible is the absolute perfect word of God. He says, well, certainly not. I said, you were waving it up there saying this. He says, well, I was talking about the original autographs. I said, now I know your shoes are black, but Buster Brown, isn't that just a little deceptive? That you're getting up there not believing that the Bible is the absolute perfect word of God, but you're waving it backing and forth, telling the people out there, and he says, well, they know the difference. And I thought to myself, you know what? I said, then I, I got a question for it. Now, I learned some things. I learned that these guys, I mean, these guys are as crooked as a dog's hind leg. These guys, when they get up in the morning, they're so crooked, they got to screw their socks on. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I said to him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. Does not the word Bible mean books? And he said, yes, it does. And I said, so the 66 books of the Bible make it a Bible, correct? Yes, that's correct. I said, well, let me ask you something. When in, in history, whenever, was all the original manuscripts in one book? They weren't. Nobody in the history of the world has had, if the original autographs are the inspired word of God, and they are your perfect Bible, there was never a time in the history of the world in almost 6,000 6, years where the original manuscripts were ever in one book. So the originals, nobody's ever had them. Nobody has ever read them. All you have in the Greek and Hebrew manuscripts that you have are copies that are what? Six, seven hundred years old than where the originals were wrote? Nobody's ever had them. Nobody ever really has read them. In fact, what do you do with this, doctor? In Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah writes the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter, that's the original Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 36, one of your buddies, Dr. Jehudi, Picks up the book of Jeremiah, doesn't like what he reads in it, so he does what you scribes and Pharisees do. He takes out his penknife and he cuts out the passages that he doesn't like and throws them in a fire. The problem is he didn't like any of it, and by the time he's done, the first set of originals of Jeremiah were all put into the fire. Then in Jeremiah chapter 36 through 32, there's a second set of originals. 
of the book of Jeremiah. How do you explain that? That one gets destroyed, and lo and behold, in chapter 51, verse 61, another set of originals of Jeremiah gets penned by the hand of Jeremiah. And the Bible tells you in chapter 36, verse 32, that none of them matched word for word. He added words to every original, and now you've got three sets of originals. You've got to be absolutely either brain-dead or demon-possessed to buy into their, their, their teaching. The originals, all of the 66 of them, were never in any collection of a book. So when you say the Word of God is only perfect and inspired in the originals, that's the real Bible, you're talking about something that no one has ever seen in 6,000 years. It never existed. Nobody has ever read it. Nobody could ever get their hands on it. And it is ne- it's a figment of your imagination because this mythical, magical, mystical Bible that you say is perfect couldn't be found anywhere in 6,000 years of man's history. Do you think Paul had the originals of Moses? Do you really? Do you think he had the original copy of Isaiah? Do you really? And they call what you paid over probably $100,000 and spent, what, five or six years? They call that higher education? You had to get your money back. The Bible says the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I'm going to give you four ways that you know your King James Bible is superior to the originals. Any day, any place, anywhere, anytime. Four ways your King James 1611 authorized version, the perfect, inspired, preserved, complete word of God without error, four ways that it is superior to Dr. Fine, Dr. Howard, Dr. Fine. Number one, the AV is superior to the originals because you can read the AV 1611 And no one has ever, 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 ever in the history of the world read the originals. Number two, the AV 1611 is superior to originals because at least, at least 200 billion people have come to a saving knowledge through a King James 1611 authorized version. There isn't one person in heaven, earth, outer space, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, that ever came to Christ with the original manuscripts. The third thing we've already talked about, the Bible means books. There never was a time in the history of the world when the original manuscripts were ever in one book. So that Bible, that fable Bible, that pretend Bible, like your pretend life, like your pretend ministry, is a figment of your imagination. The fourth thing, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture has been given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The original manuscripts were never Scripture. In the Bible, the word Scripture isn't used for Scripture till it's in a written book. And it tells you that all Scripture is given by inspiration. So you have a Bible in your hand that is Scripture that was given by inspiration And the original manuscripts were never scriptures. And the scriptures you have are profitable for doctrine. The originals aren't. It's profitable for reproof. The originals weren't. It's profitable for correction. The originals can't. And it's profitable for instruction in righteousness. The originals aren't. And it also perfects you. How do you get perfected by the Scriptures if the Scriptures don't exist? Only in the minds of the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the corrupt scribes today, which we know and love as our Bible scholars. 
How do you get perfected? And then at the same time, it says there's furnishings that the Word of God puts into your life. How do you get perfected for the work in the ministry and get the furnishings that you need in your life if the Bible doesn't exist except in the figment of minds of scholarship and original manuscripts that never existed in a book, therefore it never was a Bible. Therefore, you don't have it. The answer to that, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And God translated him from heaven to here, one place to the other. And then when God translated him back, he gave you the written Word of God, a King James 6, 10, 11 authorized version, which now we know is the mind of God, the mind of Christ, and you are to arm yourself with that mind. And those are the inspired scriptures. Now, if that's not superior, then you're out of your mind. Right now, you have a perfect book that is God's mind. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside you, Christ in you, the hope of glory, Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And the church right now is called the body of Christ. Not this building, you. And you should know now that there's two adoptions in the Bible in Romans chapter 8. When you got saved, you were spiritually adopted. That's your soul. He lives inside you, the kingdom of God, that you were translated from darkness into that kingdom. It's inside you. And then there's coming a day when you get your physical adoption and you get Christ's glorified body. And I showed you yesterday in Bible Institute how that there's coming a day, Hebrews chapter 8, when there'll be no more preaching. In the millennium, there'll be no more people preaching. There'll be no more passing out tracts and no more people getting saved like we do in the church age. And there'll also be no more Bible. And I showed you that clearly from the Old Testament passage based on Hebrews chapter 8 yesterday in Institute. No question about it. In the millennium, all those things cease. Now, I know, I know, I know. So many of God's people, you're so shallow. Uh, when it comes to the Bible, you have an IQ below subplant life. I get that. But I'm telling you right now, you think that all through history of the Old Testament, now and on into a millennium and on into that, people are trusting Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior. And I showed you yesterday how that is completely false heresy and not true. And the reason why there is no preaching and nobody going around like you do right now saying, do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? Do you know the Lord? It's because the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 8 that everybody will know who he is because he's sitting on the throne in Jerusalem and the whole world knows who he is. And the reason why there'll be no Bible? Oh, here it comes. The reason why there'll be no King James Bible in the millennium? Oh, here it comes. You will be the Bible. Right now, you got the Holy Spirit of God, which is the Word of God, inside you, and God gave you His mind in a book. But when you get the glorified body of Christ, you don't need the book anymore. And now you are the walking, talking person of Jesus Christ, and you are the incarnate Word of God. The mind of Christ, translated to you, in a book, not from one language to another, but from one place to another. And when you got saved, spiritually circumcised, when you got moved from translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, then you got the mind of Christ in the Word of God. And through that mind, you get at salvation transformed, Romans chapter 12, by the renewing of your mind. And then after you get saved, you go through First John, Gospel of John, then you get conformed to his death. At salvation, you get transformed through your walk with God, you get conformed under the death, his death on the cross. Your Bible is the complete, perfect, inspired word of God, preserved for you by the Holy Spirit of God, to be God's translation to you in this church age. I mean, come on. Let's just try to get a little common sense here. I know common sense is not too common today, especially in churches. 
But what good is the fact, I mean, honestly, let's ask ourselves an honest question. What good is the fact that God inspired something somewhere if he wasn't God enough to preserve it to get it to you? You think I care that God was God enough to inspire it, but he wasn't God enough to preserve it? I mean, come on. I mean, the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the uh, incarnate word of God. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Do you not agree that God brought him through sinners? You think Mary was the queen of heaven like the Catholic Church teaches? You think she was sinless? You think God had to find a sinless woman to bring forth a sinless son of God? No. The only thing holy about Mary was her socks. <laughs> yeah, I like that joke too. It went over big in the sixth grade when you're dealing with junior high kids. You obviously are much more sophisticated than that. She wasn't holy. You know what Mary said? She says, I rejoice in God my Savior. She was as big a sinner as you are, as I am. You don't have a problem with the fact that God could bring the incarnate Word, the Son of God, down into this world through a sinner named Mary, live in a sinful world, grow up in a sinful world with sinful brothers and sisters, sinful moms and dads, and yet God preserved him that he never got tainted with sin. You have a problem with that, do you? You defy, you defend that. That's the virgin birth. Oh, that is the sinless son of God. Woohoo! You're all over that. But let me tell you something. You have a problem with the fact that he can, God could bring the sinless incarnate word through a sinner and bring him down through history and keep him perfect, but he couldn't do it with the word of God. See how stupid you are? How stupid you are? You say, you shouldn't use the word stupid. That's not, I don't like the word stupid, but I like using it for you. Because you're stupid. You're one of the most stupid people standing up and teaching the Bible today and telling God's people that they don't have the absolute truth of the Word of God, that they got to go to you. They got to go to the Greek, Hebrew, lexicon, or they got to go to a Greek New Testament. You got to learn Greek and Hebrew so you can have a relationship with God. Are you kidding me? And I'll be honest, the only people stupider than you are the people that are in your church listening to you this morning. Why, some guy came in here and tried to, it was a guy in the church here several years ago that got up there, that church used to believe the King's Age Bible, don't believe it anymore, and they got up and he was such a radical rebel, demon-possessed, whatever, he waved his NIV and he says, I want everybody to know that I am NIV positive this morning. <laughs> and everybody cheered and clapped. Well, let me tell you something. At the judgment seat of Christ or wherever you show up, you would be much better shape with HIV than you will be with your NIV. But that's just the rantings of a radical, foaming at the mouth guy. 